This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Hey folks, I'm really excited about this episode, but before we dig in, I thought I should mention that at the end of the show, my friend and cultivated veteran, Melanie Penn, stops in for a minute to talk about her new record as well. It's a project she developed during COVID and quarantine, and it's full of some hopeful words. So don't miss that. All right, on with the show. Well, I feel like we have a lot of ground to cover because it's been a long time since you were on the show. So so much has happened. <laughs> Would that have been four years ago, 2016, that first Moda Spira record? Yes. It's been a full four years. It's definitely, <laughs> it's been dense. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the last time you and I talked, we were at the um, Canvas conference. And I think the next Moda Spira record was about to come out. Like you had just finished it. and Yes, I released that two years ago this October. And that okay. record's called Divorce. And it is aptly mm-hmm. named since I went through a divorce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was actually really funny because Sandra McCracken was also there. And I remember what I was naming the record and she like, her eyes got real big and she was like, why are you doing that? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, there's just no other way. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. I listened to the record, you know, after it came out many times. I mean, it's a great record. Thank you. And the thing that it made me think about, have you ever heard the Neil Gaiman lecture, Make Good Art? I don't think so. It was a commencement speech that he gave. You know, his whole premise is whatever life throws at you, you have the option of kind of despairing and withdrawing, or you can take whatever, you know, whatever life throws at you and go make good art. It's a great speech. And I thought of that when I was listening to the record, I I revisited it this last week. And here was probably the most, you know, I don't mean to speak for you, but you know, one of the most traumatic circumstances of your life. That's fair. And you chose to, to to, uh, uh, you chose to make good art. Well, to be fair, I did despair and withdraw for a season. Mm -hmm. And then I made good art with it. I needed a few months of being in bed and kind of like that feeling of getting hit by a freight train. My body was kind of in the OR and under massive surgery. And I needed a little recovery time before I could get into Mm -hmm. PT and all those things. But emotionally Mm -hmm. speaking... And I actually wrote some songs in the interim between kind of like slowly pulling myself back up into life. And before I started writing the songs that were on the record, I kind of had a a month or two of a series of songs that were like, (laughs) I'm almost curious to go visit the voice memos again. But like, I remember Mm. one of them being like really dark, melancholy chords and just guttural screams. (laughs) 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 And I remember thinking like, I can't use this, but like, I was just sobbing and I was making food for myself is what I was doing, you know, Mm. like it was nourishing me. And it wasn't until I wrote bang, it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was in my pajamas and I I did a lot of staring at the wall in those Mm. days. And you're not like catatonic, but it's almost like your inner spirit and your mind and your emotions are doing a lot of work. And so your body almost feels paralyzed, you know? Mm. And so you can like sit and stare for hours because mm-hmm. you're running a marathon inside yourself, but your body is just needing to like actually rest while that's happening. 
So I did a lot of that. And I remember all of a sudden the melody and the lyric just popped into my brain. It went off like a bang and the whole metaphor. And I just like, like a zombie walked to the piano and wrote that song. Besides the very end, I wrote the end right before we tracked the record, but I wrote that whole first two and a half minutes. It just like came right out. And Mm. that's the moment where I was like, I think I might have some songs to share about this that like aren't Mm. just for me. And then I started talking with Dave about it, who was my co-producer, Dave Wilton. And he was like, right. And so I just wrote and I wrote Mm. and I wrote and it was so cathartic. It went off like a bang. Oh, everything, it changed in that moment. Like a bang, blood coursed through my veins. Oh, 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 when those fatal words were spoken, that I was not your chosen, it went off like a bang. little, not like unnerving, but I knew it was going to shift. It was going to shift my audience and shift my career and Mm -hmm. potentially be financially costly or damaging to my career as well. But I, I couldn't not make it. I felt so strongly about it because I was just like, there are so many people that, well, everybody grieves. The vehicle for this grief just happened to be divorce. So in some ways, like it's relatable to anybody who's grieving a loss, but there are also a lot of people that go through the specific, they get in the car of divorce and they drive it around. And and then when I think about people who are coming out or in American Christianity in particular, if they're anything like me, I grew up with the messaging that God hates divorce. And then the next thought that you have on your brain, whether someone's saying it to you or not, is if I get divorced, God will hate me. Mm -hmm. And if I get divorced, my community will hate me. And all of a sudden you lose your God and your community and you are like even more isolated than you could potentially be in the isolation of your marriage, Mm -hmm. which feels devastating. And so I just was like, Mm -hmm. I just had to make it and I did it and it definitely cost me, but Mm -hmm. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) There's a pine wobbler sitting on a hollow limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him and everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on it seems to hush the leaves and the colors all around now first he sings and then he goes and what it means it's hard to know From Christianity Today, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosburn. On today's episode, my guest is singer, songwriter, and producer, Latifa Alatas. Latifah's actually been on the show before, so if you want to know about her background, go listen to that episode from our archives. But here, we talk about art and faith after loss, disillusionment, and trauma. So stay with us.
you know, in ministry, it was one of the things that we saw a lot was people who were in incredibly toxic marriages and relationships and where a spouse was not only self-destructive, but destructive of the other person, yeah. you know, emotionally, physically, what, whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. Sometimes the right thing to do pastorally was to step in and say, hey, you're okay making yeah. this decision to walk away yeah. from this marriage. Like this yeah. person's violated their covenant with you. They've broken their promises and it's time to yeah. you know, make space for that. And the stigma, because it is so ingrained, the stigma remains just profoundly strong. It's pretty wild. Like I actually went back and just out of curiosity a couple months ago, because I have had a lot of time on my hands with COVID. So I've been doing a lot of like admin mining and like looking at the data, when people and how many people are listening to what songs and you know, what happened. So I released the record in October, two years ago, the month I released the divorce record, my page six VI listens have been cut in half since then. And then my invitations to lead worship went from like 60 to 90 invitations a year to, I got three the first year and Mm. about three the second year. And then nothing really counts with COVID. So we're not going to use that as data really. But so it's been like a a more of like a silent turn away Mm -hmm. from me. I thought there might be more vocal shaming, but yeah, I think that anytime in faith or religion where we elevate theology or ideas above the care of a human being in front of us. I think that there are times where that becomes dissonant. Sometimes our theology and the way we care for people fall beautifully in sync and are incredibly beneficial in healing. The times where the theology steps in and is causing like emotional, spiritual abuse or damage or trauma, when people double down on the theology, because it's, a lot of people are, are uncomfortable with the dissonance of, well, what I believe isn't lining up with how I, I actually innately know how to care for this person, that causes so much damage. It causes a lot of harm. And I mean, how many people have you come across or met in your life that have walked away from faith or religion? And it's generally because of an emotional relational trauma. to hear you yeah. if you're if you're up for talking through the process of grief that you went through Absolutely. and the ways that that transformed you because we talked a lot I remember that conversation really vividly it was really helpful to me and once you made the decision to get out of bed and start working on yourself you kind of yeah. took an all hands on deck approach to <laughs> caring for your soul you're right. I mean, I was in therapy, like talk therapy once a week. I started doing body therapy, which is, I realized that in my marriage, I, um, and I'm not blaming this on my ex-husband. This was my choice. I did a lot of not listening to and living outside of my body. So like my body would definitely be communicating something to me like, 
this doesn't feel safe or this doesn't feel like a good situation, but I would double down on my pylons of theology that had been rooted as a young child, which were like, you stay, you stay, you stay, you stay, mm. you know? And that has a cost. And so I had to do a lot of reintegrating and reconnecting with my body. So I did body therapy once, which is like similar to massage therapy, but you do it with somebody who knows how to talk through trauma and and where you hold certain grief in your body. So like in in Chinese medicine, they say you carry rage and anger in your liver. So a lot of people can have like a blocked liver. You carry grief in your lungs, Mm. which is actually why I think being a vocalist was such a huge advantage for me because I'm literally rattling around those feelings of grief. I'm shaking them with sound and movement. And that's why I like moving your body. I started going to yoga like six times a week with my friend, Aaron, and just moving, stretching, connecting to your body, listening to your body was a huge tool for me as I was like, processing my actual grief. I would just start to observe, start to pay attention, start to notice, allow Mm. myself to be still enough. So like one thing I would do is like, I would get like random, really random, like shooting pains. Sometimes they would be like under my ear or like, and it would be moving. So like I knew since the pain would move that there wasn't like something actually wrong, wrong, wrong with me, you know, Mm. as, as far as my physical body. But I started to just get curious and I would say, okay, like neck muscle under my ear, what are you holding? And can you let it go? And sometimes it could, and sometimes it would move elsewhere and sometimes it would just be there. And then I would say, okay, I'm just going to feel whatever it is, even if I'm not sure exactly what that feeling is, I'm just going to give myself permission to be still in this space. And then I could ask the spirit, like, spirit, will you help me? Like, will you help me understand what I'm holding here? Can you help me be attentive? So I started kind of doing a just paying attention to my body. That was a big tool. I still use that all the time. I had a very trusted group of friends that let me say all my feelings and let me share my anger, a lot of sadness. Sadness is a lot easier for me to access than rage. Mm -hmm. And it's so timely actually that you and I are talking because I just had like a really, I went on a retreat this weekend and spent a lot of time outside in nature with like just a handful of people. And I finally laid down the rest of my rage. Hmm. I have been carrying this story, this piece from my divorce that was, I lost my opportunity to be a mom Hmm. because I'm almost 39 and I know myself, I'm not going to like rush into a relationship to try to have a baby before I'm 43 because I definitely don't want to go through divorce again because it was really (laughs) painful. (laughs) (laughs) And I never want to sacrifice my inner peace again. And so, and I just know if I was going to have a baby with someone, I would need a lot of time to get to know them and, you know, and develop trust and that kind of stuff. And so it just was felt like it couldn't be on the table anymore in my mind. And if I'm going to get really honest, I would blame my ex and say, he stole those years from me. He stole the years that I had. And the truth is that's actually not true. I used to say for the last like year that I just regretted ever having met him because then I wouldn't have had to go through that whole thing. And not because he's a bad person or he's a monster, but like all that pain and all that time, like time is a non-renewable resource. Like I can't get that back. And so I was carrying this story and I was carrying the story and I actually like having a lot of discomfort in my liver the last six months and talked to my doctor and they put me on liver supplements. And I wasn't even connecting the stuff that I already knew about the body, that the liver holds rage and anger. And I wasn't releasing it. And the truth is, is I was holding on to this story that I 
was robbed those years and I'll never have the choice. And it started compounding. And I've noticed in the last six months, I've been more irritable. Hmm. It's almost like the anger is compounding and compounding and compounding. So things that wouldn't even generally make me that angry. I'm like having these like jolts of like, I'm really upset about this, you know? Mm -hmm. And just this weekend, I spent a lot of like meditation and a lot of singing and a lot of time processing with people. And then all of a sudden I cried and I let out like a guttural scream and it was like, it passed through me Hmm. and I like sat up. It took me about an hour to connect it. And I was like, oh, I think I'm done with this story. I don't think this is true. Hmm. You know, if I want to try to be a mom, I can still do that. Who knows if I'll meet a partner? Who knows? Like, I'm actually currently dating someone right now. And what if it's that person? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to rush it, but like, <laughs> it's because I don't want to do that. But like, <laughs> but the truth is like, I do feel like letting that go has made me feel so much lighter. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, my body's been telling me for six months, you have some unprocessed rage. Mm-hmm. God saying, can you trust me? Like, who would you be without all your sad stories? Mm. Can you trust me that you are enough? And those things happened to you and they affected you and they've shaped maybe a part of who you are, but like, maybe it's time to lay it down. And I needed that time, honestly, probably to be angry and have my process. Like I would never want to rush somebody, but like my friend Glad, and she actually says this on the Moda Spirit podcast about divorce on the forgiveness episode. It's my favorite definition of forgiveness. She said, forgiveness isn't just like saying, hey, I forgive you. And I'm going to actively try to keep forgiving you every day. Forgiveness is when the energy comes to rest. Mm -hmm. That like when that person's offense or name comes up in conversation, that you don't feel the need to like emotionally and physically like relive that whole experience. You know, somebody brings Reed up. I can just like be like, you know what? We spent a lot of time together. We went through some hard things. I wouldn't choose to do it again, but that story definitely contributed to who I am. Mm-hmm. I really wish him well. And I don't feel like I need to like walk you through everything that happened mm-hmm. because I need somebody to tell me that was really bad. You deserve better or whatever it is, you know? It really is when the energy comes to rest. I feeling like I was never going to leave that place. I was always going to be that sad. I was always going to be just isolated by my grief. Like I would sit with my friends that I loved and I was like glad to be there, but I just, I didn't feel any better or worse being by myself or with people that I cared about for a season. I just felt like I thought I was numb, but what was really happening is every feeling was happening at 11 at once. 
It's like so loud emotionally inside your body, you don't even know how to process. So one of the gifts I really did give myself was actually staying in bed for a while Mm -hmm. and letting my body catch up. I remember the first year passing and being like, okay, I think I actually feel a little better. And then the second year passing and feeling like, man, by that time I had just moved to Nashville, you know, I was making big changes. And I was thinking like, there's beautiful things about my life and I'm really grateful for it. And yeah, like maybe I'll be alone forever. That was kind of still one of the stories I like to hang on to. And then now it's like year three passed in April from our separation. And I'm like, my entire relationship to what happened has shifted. Hmm. I don't carry all that sadness anymore. And now here I am, you know, it'll be three years since the official divorce in December. And I finally let go of the anger. Hmm. And I'm really glad I didn't, pressure myself to do anything faster than my body was ready to do it or that I was ready to do it. I think that like allowing emotions to move through you and giving yourself permission to like not be okay, especially I've experienced at least in in the Christian community. I think we're so quick to just like want to be okay because we think it somehow reflects our spiritual walk. Or if we're okay, then that means we must be like cool with the divine and really in sync, you know? And if we're not okay, we must not be praying enough or like, you know, reading enough or, you know, whatever it is. And man, like sometimes we're just not okay. Releasing that record was a vulnerable act for me, but I'm just, I'm not okay. (laughs) So I'm gonna write about it. And... Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm really grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful I put it out. I'm grateful it was made. I'm grateful for the friends that came around me when I made it. And I got a letter, actually, I got an email like a month ago from a woman who said that she is leaving a domestically abusive marriage because she listened to the record, listened to the podcast and realized that God wouldn't hate her if she left. And I was never in a physically abusive marriage, just mm. to be so, so clear. But I wrote her back, but I was just like, that's not about me. It's just about what happens when we're willing to like share our stories with each other. I think it like gives us a really good lens as mm-hmm. to like what stories are actually life-giving and regenerate life in us and what stories just continue to cause death. This episode is brought to you in part by Asbury Theological Seminary, a multi-denominational evangelical seminary rooted in the Wesleyan tradition. Serving nearly 100 different denominations, Asbury Seminary prepares theologically educated, sanctified, spirit-filled men and women to evangelize and spread scriptural holiness throughout the world. Asbury Seminary is a spiritually vibrant, academically rigorous community with a residential campus in Central Kentucky, extension sites in Orlando, Tampa, Memphis, Tulsa, and Colorado Springs, and fully online programs. With over 1,800 students from 50 countries, Asbury Seminary is committed to embracing a church that encompasses all people, languages, and ethnicities. Learn more at asbury.to slash get started. This episode is brought to you in part by Asbury Theological Seminary a multi-denominational evangelical seminary rooted in the Wesleyan tradition. Serving nearly 100 different denominations, Asbury Seminary prepares theologically educated, sanctified, spirit-filled men and women to evangelize and spread scriptural holiness throughout the world. 
Asbury Seminary is a spiritually vibrant, academically rigorous community with a residential campus in central Kentucky, extension sites in Orlando, Tampa, Memphis, Tulsa, and Colorado Springs, and fully online programs. With over 1,800 students from 50 countries, Asbury Seminary is committed to embracing a church that encompasses all people, languages, and ethnicities. Learn more at asbury.to slash get started. One of my new theological pylons is that I want to check in if it's regenerative life, the idea, or if it's like a causes death. And my friend Becky, who's on the podcast with me, she talked about it in Hebrew. It's called tov and ra, and it's what's used in the creation story when God says, and this is good. He said, this is tov. And tov just means it continues to like die and be reborn. It generates life. It generates life. It generates life. And ra means like total void of the regeneration of life. I want to be a part of the Tove experience of living. As I've been in a place of a lot of shifting ideas in the last, you know, four or five years, that's been a really good like place for me to go back to. I'm practicing loneliness. I'm practicing grief. And I don't know how long this rehearsal will be. I can no longer pretend it's okay It would be a danger to act any other way Cause to me hope is a force You said something that I meant to follow up on, the invitations to lead worship, how that went away after you released the the divorce record. How did you process that? What was that like? I think initially I was so distracted with the release. I wasn't thinking about it too hard. It didn't really occur to me till about six months after the release. I had feelings of anger. You know, I've led worship for 24 years and I've been in lots of different spaces and Honestly, being a female worship leader and being a female worship leader of color has also carried its own burdens. And the spaces that Page 6VI was really in, predominantly white spaces, seemed to like really resonate with what Page, the music Page was making. And so at the time, and that is a really hard space for somebody that is in my body. So I dealt with a lot of, a lot of wonderful, amazing great experiences and great humans, and also a lot of like microaggressions and tokenization. And so I think that when you added like woman of color and then added divorcee, it's like it was too much. <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. and I also think the church is really, really clunky with single people over the age of 30 who don't have children. Mm-hmm. And I think I felt rejected and abandoned, not by my smaller community in any way, they are amazing, but by the larger big C church community. Now, honestly, it's it's in a a similar way with my ex-husband. I'm realizing it was probably really good for me 
probably really good for me to be away from that environment, especially with the healing work that I've continued to be doing with myself and with my community. I think I needed to not be in those spaces in that way for a while. And I don't know if I'll ever go back. I might, I don't know. I'm not against it, but I'm also not planning on it. I'm kind of just like holding it really open-handedly and I love making music. That's never going to change. It's like the best job in the entire universe. And even when it's not a job, you know, I'm probably Mm -hmm. still going to be doing it. So it makes me sad because the reason why I was afraid it was going to happen is because it happens all the time. It happens not just to me, it happens to other people. And when you have a fear about something that's going to happen consequentially in a community, you have to ask yourself, what does that say about the community if you even hold that fear? Mm -hmm. And so if I'm like afraid that my belongingness is sheerly there because of a shared belief system versus I have belongingness because you belong, because I love you and I want you here. So... I think a lot of people are struggling with belongingness and feeling insecure in their belongingness when they start shifting in ideas or start shifting in ways, but they still want to be part of the relationship of the community, but they, they're like, well, you still love me if I'm, if I'm this, mm-hmm. but it's really okay. Mm-hmm. You know what? The truth is I don't want to be somewhere where I'm not welcome. And I also don't want to be somewhere to cause havoc. Mm-hmm. I really want to be a part of bringing peace and healing into people's lives and into my own life. If I'm going to be like the not good kind of disruptive, I don't really want to be there anyways. COVID hasn't slowed Latifa down. This fall, she released another record of hymns for her band, Page CXVI. Refuge of my weary soul On thee when sorrows rise When the waves of trouble roll A fainting hope relies a playlist that I'm curating now on Spotify called Spiritual Cosmonaut, which I really, really like. It's some of the new page record. That's kind of one of the vehicles I was releasing in, but also just a lot of music by other people I really love and Mm. also want to promote the art they're making. If people want to follow Moda Spirit, Page CXVI on Spotify, that really helps us artists, especially independent artists. If you want to spin our record on mute while you're sleeping, I won't be mad at it. (laughs) (laughs) And for the vinyl lovers and the t-shirt wearers, I am sitting on an enormous pile of merchandise for this new record Mm. that Audrey and I's tour got canceled two days before because Mm. of COVID. And so, and I have chord charts, like national number chord charts for my entire Page VI catalog now, finally. It took me a long time to get that up. So yeah, I mean, I would just always encourage people if you love art, you love music, like support the artist. Well, thanks so much for making time for this. It's good to see you. Good to catch up. You too, man. It's really good. Thanks for uh, 
Thanks for being willing to talk. It's always a pleasure. Melanie Penn, you're back on the podcast. I am, and I'm so glad to be back. Hi, Mike. Hi, it's good to have you. Um, how are you surviving COVID? I'm surviving. Uh, I The novelty of the quarantine has worn off. I no longer am enjoying the slower pace of life, and I'm ready to be back out there. So who knows when that will happen? I, I wonder if we're all kind of, we all have a bit of quarantine fatigue at this point. I mean, I imagine it's for somebody like you that you spend a lot of time with audiences, you know, there's a certain part of you that's fueled by that, that's got to be driven nuts by just the total absence of that in your life right now. It's a lot of isolation. And I realized playing shows for people, of course, professionally and artistically, it's so wonderful, but it's also like my social touch point. It's like where I meet people and how I have conversations about life. And of course, just travel to have the rhythm of travel completely stop. It has been a little tough. I didn't realize what a uh, roadie I was until travel just completely came to a halt. In the midst of it, you've decided to release a record? Yes. Tell me about the record. Give me the, the big picture. What's it about? It's all the things, Mike. Okay, so <laughs> I was always going to release an album this year called More Alive. And that title, I, I, there is a song called More Alive. It's on the album. And the idea pre-COVID was just, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with time and the idea of getting older. And I think the general conception is, as you get older, you get a little bit less alive. You know, you're a little worn down. You're not, you're not the spring chicken you used to be, whatever. And I love the idea of thinking about age as something that makes you more alive, not less. So as time goes by, you're actually accumulating more life, not less. I love that theme. I write about it a lot. Then we come into COVID and this idea of being less alive completely pervades our culture and pervades everything we hear because we're all having to encounter this idea of, of illness and fatal illness. That, that, is, that is the topic that has overwhelmed our culture and our media this year and understandably so. But in the quarantine, I wrote even more songs along this same theme. And Ben Shive, my producer in Nashville, was like, why don't you just get down here to Nashville and record these songs that she wrote in quarantine? And so we were able to record in a socially distanced way. And by the end of June, I had enough new songs to, to push like a full album out. Uh, with even more material. So that's what I did. And so More Alive is the title. And my hope is that this album really is a kind of a counter narrative to all that we've been facing this year. If a tree falls down in a forest, will it make a sound? Be easier to get up off the floor if my friends were around. But I will wait upon you now Cause you're not absent No, you haven't left us through anything that's happened You're moving It's a new thing We don't know just yet what you were doing You're not absent You're active in the cannon blast We're not abandoned 
Judgment is song one on More Alive, and I wrote it. I, I wrote it. I wrote it really in the most um, locked down part of the quarantine. I, I, I was quarantined with my parents in Virginia, and um, at least in this state, like every single every single non-essential business closed. Like we were. And my dad has cancer, so we really were not leaving the house. It was a lonely time. And I would take walks around my parents' neighborhood and I wrote this song, You're Not Absent. the song has come out and started to connect with people, I think the song also works in another way, which is that there are a lot of empty places in our culture right now. There's like empty sports stadiums and theaters and movie theaters and church buildings, obviously. There's a lot of emptiness. And I like to think that God is not absent from those places either. You know, He's just getting all of these empty places ready for our return. And he's getting them ready for us to go back. And we don't know what we're gonna find, like society is gonna have to kind of relaunch itself. But I like to believe that God is getting us ready for the next chapter in a really wonderful way. With a thumb to crash the waters rise There's only confusion in the night We fall with the morning we pray, but it's the same. Every horizon's turned to gray. It's become impossible to navigate. But the wind will hold any command. You can bend it back. it's a classic Christian song because immediately you're in the story of Jesus asleep in the boat during the storm with the disciples. And the parallels to what we're going through now are obvious, you know, like we are in a storm and I want the song to work in that way forever, which is referencing that story in the New Testament. But what we rarely talk about we, we always talk about Jesus calming the storm and kind of being not afraid. Like the disciples are freaked out by the storm. Jesus is not, Jesus calms it. Great. But we never talk about the fact that when the disciples and Jesus get to the other side, like when they get to the other shore, all these beautiful things happen. Like people get healed and delivered. It's like the storm was the resistance to getting where the disciples and Jesus needed to go. And so I hope that we are in this stormy time because we are en route to somewhere else. 
And once we get to the other side of this, a lot of beautiful things are gonna happen. So I like to position one word in that way. And I hope that, I hope that it does work in that way. Like we're in the storm, we're gonna get to the other side. And when we get to the shore, the other shore of this, a lot, a lot of good is waiting, waiting for us. Melanie, thanks so much for coming back and saying hello and come back again soon. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm a big believer in this work and the work that you're doing. So thanks for having me on. And hey, since it is Advent, I thought I should mention that you should check out Melanie's Advent projects. This season, in the absence of her normal Christmas tour, she's been doing live streamed shows for churches meeting online. You can actually learn more about that via her Instagram feed. First he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Cultivated is a production of Christianity Today. If you like the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. It helps other people find the show. This episode was produced by me. It was edited by Mark Owens. Our theme song is Eden Was a Garden by Roman Candle. Music throughout this episode was by Motor Spira, Paige CXVI, and Melanie Penn. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com/ct.